Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. I hope you're having a great day. I'm looking outside at a cold, slushy day in Boulder, hoping that my guest Dave Mackey made it home from the hike he did right after our second interview. Yes, you heard it. We had to turn this one into a two-parter. You see... Dave is an extraordinary person who's been through an extraordinary event that changed his life, but it didn't change who he is. Hence the fact that he's out doing a hike in really crappy weather that would keep a lot of people home. Dave is an ultra running superstar. Uh, Many years ago, he discovered the soul freeing nature of trail running and he became really, really good at it. You know you've made it when there's a Wikipedia page dedicated to you, and if you Google him, you will see that he has one. Um, Dave has set course records at many ultra-distance trail running races, including wins at the Montreal Cup, uh, USATF national trail running titles at the 50K, 50-mile, and 100K, as as well as uh, being a former record holder of the Rim to Rim to Rim, this is the Grand Canyon, among other incredible accolades. His life as an elite ultra runner all changed on May 23rd, 2015, when he stepped on a loose rock on Bear Peak in Boulder, and the rock tumbled down and crushed his leg, literally. Uh, One year later, and after many failed surgeries, Dave made the decision to have his lower leg amputated. Today, he is exploring the same hiking trails near his fall on a cold, sleety day in October, almost exactly one year from the day of his surgery. So Dave is also my neighbor. I literally house-sit their creatures. (laughs) Our kids run in the same circles. I know his wife, Ellen. She's an incredible person. So I see Dave and his family out and about all the time. And I have to say this. Dave is a really normal guy, or as normal as our crazy ultra-running friends can be, that is. Um, This accident hasn't changed him in any obvious ways, except that he carries a little less skin and a little less bone. Uh, As I said, Dave has been through an extraordinary event and been faced with making decisions at a level that most of us will not ever. And he has come out swinging or running. We, uh, we did this episode in two parts because we both place an emphasis on picking our kids up from school on time. And the first part, we ran out of time. So since this is a longer episode, we decided to include his sponsor, Hoka One One, the innovative running shoe brand for a giveaway. Uh, Dave was wearing Hoka's when he came over today and I said, Dave, we got to do something with these guys. So here's the ask. You're going to go over to the Skirt Sports Facebook page. There is a post about this episode on Friday, November 3rd. 
I want you to tell us the following. What would you write on your leg if you knew you were going to lose it? Not small or light stuff there. (laughs) All right, then. Let's bring Dave on the show. All right, Dave. Thank you for finally coming over. You're welcome. I just walked (laughs) across the street. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Here's the funny thing. We live like 10 meters apart from each other, Mm -hmm. and it has taken me longer. I pulled up my notes that I started to do your podcast, and they're from May 29th. Uh-huh. Okay, today is what, December 18th? Yeah. 19th? Uh, no, October. I mean October, yeah. So, <laughs> so good, at least we didn't make it into December, but we're gonna do a short one today. This is actually gonna be closer to my original intention for the, for the podcast, which was the average time it takes someone to run a 5K. Do you know what that is? Uh, like an hour? No, but that's actually uh, probably probably closer. It's thirty six minutes and thirty eight seconds. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's pretty cool. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna make this a little bit of a sprint. So here's the deal: I've known of you for many years. Then I move in across the street a couple years ago, and and I distinctly remember last Halloween. Mm-hmm. Okay, last Halloween mm-hmm. was a big day for you, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, it was huge. Yeah, it was yeah. the day before you went in to have your leg amputated. Uh-huh, exactly. A decision you made. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do is I want to I want to take people back a little bit through your story leading up to that decision because mm-hmm. you had an accident which caused you so much pain and so many issues that you had to make this really hard decision. But what I want to talk about right now is life before the accident. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because your reality today is so different. And Uh I think it's really important for people to know like the you before. So you were and are and always will be a running legend, right? Aren't you in like the Uh, Hall of Fame in Colorado? No, there's no Hall of Fame. Um, (laughs) Well, there is a running Hall of Fame, but that's, I'm not there. (laughs) Well, so talk a little bit about like, how did you find running? Before the accident. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was phenomenal. It was my outlet. It was... You know, if I could get out two hours every day and go run up, you know, in the hills, I would do it. You know, before my accident, I did do that. Not also, not every day, about like five days a week or so. Well, did you but, grow um, up running? Is this like what no. you did? No, I grew up um, just like regular American kid playing team sports. I played three sports and, you know, up through high school and then in college and that, not three sports in college. I played soccer in college, but... Um, I played, uh, yes, regular things, but running was, I actually did track and field my high school senior year instead of playing baseball. So that was the only real running I did. I didn't do cross country or like mega distances. I used to, to stay in shape for other sports. But well, it was, I love, you know, being running around. That was my, running was my strength in, in the team sports for sure. Well, where'd you grow up? In Maine, near Portland, Maine. Ah, mm-hmm. another cool outdoor town. Um, yeah. So you were like a scrappy little athletic kid and you had some eye-hand coordination. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. pretty cool. I didn't, really. Um, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you fooled everybody in the world. <laughs> so funny. Um, so when did you like find the sport of distance running? In uh, After college, moved out to Colorado, moved to Brackenridge. Um, well, I moved to, actually I was in Denver for a while, for a few months for an internship, and then then moved to Brackenridge, and up there I worked, a, I worked in outdoor education 
for quite a while, and that was part of what my undergrad studies were in. So I worked for the Breckenridge Outdoor Education Center. Center oh, cool. Which ironically was with people with disabilities um, for a couple of years. Oh, and, really? Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. so you were like exposed to that kind of, I guess, class or category of people who were coming in who wanted to live an outdoor life or active life? Yeah, had exactly. Okay. Yeah, a lot, a lot of team building, a lot of um, groups, schools, programs would come up, and we'd do... I helped run the wilderness program aspect of that. But there's also a very, very well-known adaptive ski program up there, which I worked a little bit for. Mostly I was like the wilderness person. Like right. it's like outward bound for, you know, people with disabilities. And right, and just, you know, people without disabilities too, probably half and half. Um, but went there, the BOEC um, director, Rich Cook, who actually lives like a quarter mile that way from us, he um, started the Breckenridge Crest Mountain Marathon in 95 and i'd never done anything like it i so i tried like a half marathon the leadville uh, mosquito marathon the and half that, in that was 85 95, 95. okay yeah. mm-hmm. and uh i did i love the half and then that was the prep for the brett crest which was the inaugural race which still goes on and um rich founded that and i tried it and i just i got like fifth place and i almost died and not like literally died. But I felt like I almost died. Well, later in life, was... you almost died. Yeah, I did. That's true. <laughs> so there is a like, distinction there. <laughs> yeah, I guess prior to that, though, I'd run. Um, I didn't run a. F- I did run a marathon in ninety three, ninety four, summer ninety four, Grandma's Marathon. It was like my first road marathon, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what I was doing. And I also ran New York City in ninety one with my brother. I pirated it with when he ran it legally. Oh, really? I just jumped in and ran it with him. You did. Yeah. I would yeah. never do that. Probably yeah. back in the day I would have though, because I didn't know any better, right? It, yeah. Well, yeah, I knew better, but oh! <laughs> you know, they, nobody stopped us. So nobody cared back then. Yeah, that's now true. Now you get arrested. Probably. And you know, so so what was it about running and like being out there for long distances that fed your soul? Uh, the outdoors, you know, athletic outlet, like you know, whatever kind of itchy, you know, inner drive or something like that, you know, gets us out the door to, you know, get a couple some miles in every day. I don't know if some people are maybe genetically or it's, maybe it's a learned thing, but you know, it's just, it feeds some desire. I don't, I don't know how to quantify it really, but being in the outdoors is this huge part of it. You know, like you can probably understand that, like, you know, with all your training and races you've done and building up to them, just being out there is so refreshing. And I, I, and I found that, you know, that definitely gave me more energy to do other things in life. And, you know, without it, I'd probably be like, I'd be, I'd be a couch potato for sure. Just Would you I, really? Well, I mean, I wouldn't have energy for other stuff like, like work or for right. chasing kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. And It you actually know, it's, fuels it's, your energy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Probably like most athletes, they get more mm-hmm. from it than they take. Right. You know, so. And so you also got into a career that had to do with helping people. So tell us a little bit about your career path. Um, I did. Uh, I worked in outdoor education pretty much through the 2000s. Like in college, I worked for some outing um, programs and um, got my wilderness EMT in college, which was part of my degree back then, which was kind of cool. And then um, worked for outdoor programs like the Brackenridge Outdoor Ed Center and, you know, work for Outward Bound, leading trips and team building weekends or three-week mm-hmm. trips or whatever with all kinds of ages, you know, a, lot, a lot of young kids, teenagers, adults, elderly even for some team building things. And then, um, and so I was kind of like figuring out what I wanted to do. I worked for Solomon for like two years and like when they had a little design center here and, 
in Boulder cool. in like 99, 2000. So I kind of figured it out and I got my real estate license and that was kind of supporting my oh. sports thing and, you know, got, I did that for a couple of years, which I didn't really like. But um, it's too bad the market's know. really good now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. You're, you know, yeah, you're, so today though um, you're a you're a PA, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I don't know for some reason when we were pregnant with with Ava, I figured out like I got to get a you know real life here, and that's and I kind of realized that you know this is this is what I could really do and really really like, and um, it was like a long payoff to do it, but. You know, I got the, I had some like healthcare hours from being EMT and then um, quit everything, like dropped, well, besides doing sports, I still had like a tiny bit of sponsorship through running. I got a job at a little local surgery center here to get hours and then took, finished up my prereqs. I had a biology background from undergrad, but I said to fill in some stuff there. So in the midst of having kids and Ellen working and being pregnant, I like, uplifted everything and disrupted our whole life to, you know, pursue that and then move to California and then and finally back here. Wow. California so PA school. It's been, that was a long process. Yeah, it's been like mm-hmm. a circuitous path. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, it's really cool because the career that you're in now combines a lot of your passions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, exactly. Um, and it's, it's like a double-edged sword to know that much about your own body Mm-hmm. Like you, is it mm-hmm. better yeah. or worse when you go through some kind of body trauma to know <laughs> what's yeah. going on? Yeah. Oh, for, well, I, I like knowing what I know as far as, you know, what happened to me for sure. I definitely, I knew the, you know, the options very more informed than I would have been otherwise. So right. definitely have fewer doubts as far as what, you know, the decision was to do the amputation. So it was, um, yeah, well informed, and 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 I'm happy for that. Otherwise, I right. you know a smart person could figure it out. I'm not that smart, so if I didn't have that kind of background in medicine, I probably wouldn't. You know, it would have been harder maybe, but it was. Yeah. Well, so let's talk. So you let's just talk about the accident for a minute here, because prior your life would be very different today if that hadn't happened to you. You mm-hmm. would probably still be out balancing work and really cool endurance events and you know the way you were living before. Mm-hmm. And your life has changed because mm-hmm. one very crazy day, mm-hmm. what, a year and a half, two years ago now. Uh, yeah, the accident was yeah, a little over two mm-hmm. years, four months, yeah. So what happened? What happened during mm-hmm. the accident? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, so I was, I thought you were going to go somewhere else with your question. Or no, I'm, like, I'm going would, right into it. What would it. have been if it hadn't happened? Now it's like, oh. Well, you don't know. Um, None of us so, know, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I went for a trail run right from, you know, across the street from you here up to, you know, behind Bear Peak up Shadow Canyon. Um, it was in May and um, late May. It had been a really wet month, like rain every day, soaked soils. Um rocks falling in weird places <laughs> and um went up to south boulder peak ran to my friend paul gross up there and we kind of jogged over to bear peak and i was moved a little bit ahead of him and i went up and bear peak up the um north little ridge like a typical little route up to the top tag the summit and then the little shortcut down the directly off the west side there's a, some little loose third fourth class you know climbing and climbing terms that means you don't want to fall um, sections, which I've done a thousand times with friends. 
stepped in the same places on the same rocks, but this time I stepped on a big rock that's kind of kind of sticks out in a space, and um, and then all of a sudden it moved, and then I moved with it because you know there's no place to go except out into into space and gravity. So I um, I remember falling, and it felt like it was a long fall. Like it lasted a long time, and I remember trying to you know very instinctually just control my fall by turning and grabbing like the side of the hill and I had no idea I couldn't look down and see what I was grabbing all I saw was like was right in front of me when I turned toward the hill grabbing things and controlling my fall and then all of a sudden I just remember like free falling a little bit and then landing on my back and that was luckily on a little on a scree patch that's only you know eight feet by five feet wide and after that there's another drop down to the, the trail um, but all of it was through very, very sharp, daggery rocks. So I fell, landed on my back, and then I just remember lifting my head up. My fall, as soon as I hit, and then seeing the big rock that I, I didn't know it was at the time, but seeing a big rock um, land on my my leg, and then you know, excruciating pain. Um, and then I could go on for hours about the, <laughs> the so, actual. Well, maybe we but. should talk a little bit about sure. it because we're going to do a two part. Okay. You know, we're going to talk about life after maybe in the second part. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, you know, this is a really important discussion for people who basically you're out there doing what you love and expecting what you expect to happen. Mm-hmm. And then life changed and it was out of your control, mm-hmm. right? right. Mm-hmm. So I don't. how much do you remember of like the emotions you were going through while you were up there? Uh, I, well, once I realized that I was not gonna die, which, you know, if, there's the rock on me, which Paul lifted off my leg. He was with, with the, you, he found you. Yeah, he I, upon, I okay. started screaming. Paul, Paul, and help as loud as I could. And Paul was there pretty quickly, within a minute, probably, the accident. And um, he was able to get a big stick and lever the rock off my leg. And I could see, you know, a gaping hole in it about six inches by six inches over my left shin. I could see, like, bone pieces, and blood wasn't pouring out. It was kind of pooling in the wound. I had blood running down my face because I had a cut up there, and then oh, some other cuts. Yeah. on my other shin you know i could see bone through that but it, nothing was broken it was just cut but i didn't know like my back was killing me, my chest was killing me i had this cut on my head even though my head felt okay i figured okay do i have head trauma or chest trauma am i bleeding out in my leg like you know what's going on here so it took probably a good 30 minutes or hour to finally realize okay i'm not going to shock i'm not I'm not going to die so with that like it was you know, relief because it's knowing, okay. And I knew the rescue was happening that had been initiated and I knew I was going to survive. So that was, you know, huge. I knew I wasn't, I wasn't going to die at that point. All I saw was like, okay, I'm going to get littered out of here. I'll surgery, fix the leg. No problem. You know, (laughs) rehab from it, you know, you know, and it's, you're, you're removed from it now by Mm -hmm. roughly two years. So, you know, the emotion that you were maybe feeling up there can be uh, a little bit diffused now. Like mm-hmm. it's really almost practical the way you're sort of talking yeah, about it. Right. But you're also a pretty practical guy. Mm-hmm. And like your your medical background, I think, probably helped with that as well. Mm-hmm. Was Paul really emotional? <laughs> no. Because no. sometimes you can react too yeah. based on other people's reactions. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was pretty with it. He's a pretty... <laughs> 
logical, methodical guy. He was a lawyer. He was in the Navy. He's, uh, yeah, he's pretty controlled yeah. guy. All my, and then my other friends who ended up coming to help, who happened so to be came, up on the mountain oh, on a wow. Saturday, Saturday morning, I think. Um, just happened to be in the area, and word spread by like cell phone network. Eventually, like five or six people came there. In addition to a woman named Meg Phoebe, who um, she also I had also passed the run. She was right okay. there too. Shortly after Paul, um, she's you know a trail runner who lives in Denver, and she subsequently has become a good friend. But um, yeah, so they were there. You know, Paul, Meg, and then. Four, four or five other guys who I know um, were right there. So and they're all like, you know, they, they're climbers, they're runners, they know how to deal situations. So right. it wasn't like okay. everybody's breaking down. Right, right. <laughs> uh, which I, 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 you're lucky I wasn't there. <laughs> um, so, you know, you're up there for 30 minutes, right? To an hour before rescue even started? Uh, it was more like two hours. Oh, wow. I okay. mean, the, my friends you know stabilized me they wrapped me in their coat it was cool out their coats gave me a warm hat um and actually one guy who gave me their, his coat i still have it in my closet i never saw him again i don't know if he's out there and hears this i have your arcteryx jacket from <laughs> oh really <laughs> all ago. right guys it's, we've it's got an sos <laughs> we've got, actually he's probably really happy you still have it yeah i mean that's yeah. one of those things you just give your stuff up because mm-hmm. you know this guy's gonna be in trouble here <laughs> yeah so yeah. so you were kind of like dealing with this pragmatically like okay this has happened the pain i'm sure was pretty bad but did it yeah, eventually it was, it was a, yeah definitely excruciating when I got moved, which had to happen a couple times, when the, you know, first of all, I was sort of slipping on the slope, and my friends like Bill Wright and John Christie, um, and Paul and Meg, you know, they were helping me out. They had to like sort of position me, get me a better place, so I didn't fall even further because just lay there for a while. Gravity was sort of pulling us off. Um, and every time I got moved, I had to move a little bit. It it just hurt like you but you didn't but, it, you didn't pass out like you're no. that tough mm, well <laughs> probably pain, pain can wake keep you awake I guess. it can i mean it can <laughs> no, go both I, ways you yeah know? yeah you you're, you'd probably do fine in an accident like that too. oh come on dave <laughs> seriously okay you what know, you don't know is that i like literally fell off my mountain bike yesterday and cried for yeah, three I see hours an abrasion there yeah, yeah it's an abrasion i love this because you're you it's know great. medical terms <laughs> um and i cried for at least three or four minutes mm-hmm. okay just sobbing mm-hmm. okay it was this is like a scrape Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that hurts. <laughs> it does hurt. But um, these are the kinds of things where though. now you're the kind of person who, when people fall and they hurt themselves, but they're totally fine, they can get back on. They're like, you know what? If Dave Mackey can do it, I can do it. Right? Did yeah. you ever think you'd be and, in a position yeah. where you're leading through that kind of example of toughness? No. Well, no, I never thought that would happen to me. I mean, I mean, there's there's always something worse. You can there's it's always true. something worse. So like when I went through, like a friend who I subsequently met, subsequently met. I mean, he lost both his legs and he was hit from behind by a car. You know, just loading his groceries. I mean, some of you may know him in the mm-hmm. community. Um, yep. I mean, stuff's gonna happen. It's always yeah. There's always something worse. So I guess yeah, I got through this. And if I didn't live here, then I'd be in like. Some developed nation where you have no access to like medical care, which only like two percent of the people in the world do. Right. You know, for somebody who's an amputation, 
Um, so yeah, it could always be worse. So, but yeah, for someone else who's has a fall on their bike, like you do, there's, I guess I can help you cope with your well, fall. <laughs> you know, and you're like, you're in your own reality. So mm-hmm. the whole, like it's, it could always be worse. Sometimes that's comforting to people, but a lot of times it's not. We mm-hmm. all know that like it's, it's obvious, but, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't mean that you didn't go through something really major here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so like you get down, right? And so you're dealing with the actual aftermath. I'm sure you went, were taken straight to a hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Were you airlifted? No, it, the Rocky Mountain Rescue Group um, littered me out. One of, the, one of the open space rangers showed up. They were one of the first ones to get there and just took my vitals. And then the rescue group got there and they did a probably two, three, four hour litter. Okay. Rescue down the West Ridge of Bear Peak to the ambulance that was over on North of Flagstaff Road. Um, yeah, and then to the hospital that night. Yeah. And so what ensued was a year or so of mm-hmm. trying to figure out if you if you could heal mm-hmm. and then to what level you could heal. Could you go back to the old Dave, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So, t- you know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that night I went to surgery in Boulder and the, um, the tissue was torn open. There's a big hole in my leg. And normally if you get a, you know, even an open fracture, it gets washed out extensively, clear out infection. Then the bones are, you put hardware in and you fix it and then close the tissue. But because of the open tissue that, that created a real problem, not only was the infection in in there like dirt and grass and bugs from the soils and everything the but um also the the soft tissue had to be dealt with so in boulder they did surgery but they didn't close the tissue gap they couldn't um and after a couple days i was after another surgery two days after the first one they washed it out again to try to get whatever is out of there then sent me down to um, the Denver Health Hospital, which has real soft tissue reconstruction, bone grafting and muscle grafting, everything kind of things for um, repairing like a complicated surgery or complicated okay. injury like mine. So, so it was sort of settling. You you were realizing as you went through each day, mm-hmm. you know, at the early yeah. that this is a little more complicated. Or- yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, in hindsight, you know, I could probably have gone down to Denver sooner than a couple of days of being in Boulder and gotten straight to the specialist that could have dealt with it. That might have helped my outcome. I mean, in hindsight, maybe they would have like dealt with the infection differently. Um, so but you, I mean, it's, you, you just don't know those things no. in, in hindsight. And I, you know, I put my faith in, you know, the surgeons here who, you know, provided the standard of care probably. But, um, you know, if I'd gone down there, maybe it would have been a different outcome. But as it is, it's again, you, know, you don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so you were suffering then from all kinds of things like they couldn't mm-hmm. close it. It was getting infect- infected. Were the bones at a point where they couldn't really reconstruct or put in? Yeah. The, I mean, the bones that they fixed in Boulder with, you know, hardware and little plates and screws um, that didn't take eventually after about a week, you know, I was, after about a week, I was down in Denver at that point. Um, I had developed a fever and they had to reopen everything. They, they had done some, um, they'd washed it out and they put a skin graft over the, the site from my thigh. And then, you know, a week wow. after the accident, I developed a fever and they realized there's probably more infection there. So they opened it up, realized the bone pieces were, were basically dead. 
So they just take all that out, take all the hardware out. So those bone pieces are, are gone, which meant that you know bone grafting was what would have to happen in the you know shortly after that. Jeez. So um, over the next couple of weeks in Denver, I did have that bone grafting done. They put in a rod. Well, they didn't put a rod in right then. They put on what's called an external fixator. Um, I don't know if you remember my being in that thing around the neighborhood. Oh yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like the iron long. You were legs, trying. But... You were like <laughs> doing everything you could to just like keep your body moving and mm-hmm. keep the process going forward. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And we're living in like a really cool age for having an issue like this because mm-hmm. there's so much cool technology with prosthetics and stuff, mm-hmm. but you weren't there yet. Mm-hmm. You were trying to fix your leg. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Be- having an amputation wasn't even in the cards. I mean, I knew that the worst case scenario, maybe not the worst case scenario, there's probably something worse, like like systemic infection, dying from it. But um, Yeah, but that losing- would be worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, the, you know, lo- losing the leg wasn't, it didn't seem like it was a reasonable prospect because I had always always other options like with okay, we'll do the bone grafting and then we'll put the rod in there. The bone grafting will harden and that replaces you know the bone pieces that they took out and then you know eventually heal. But as time went by, there's scar tissue that built up in the leg from you know like ten different surgeries um, and infection, which was still in there. It's like a low grade infection, which is a huge part of the It's you know, such decision. a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I think I heard this maybe from you or Ellen. By the way, mm-hmm. your wife's amazing. We gotta talk about like your family next time. Because <laughs> okay. we've got about four minutes left. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. And this is gonna be part one, folks. Four minutes left here. <laughs> um, because of your job, you couldn't take like hardcore pain meds. Is that right? You had to like live only on like Advil and stuff because you mm. you couldn't you had to be lucid or no oh no I took I think I I didn't work for like four months or so so I could take whatever I want you took whatever you want then yeah. when you went back to work and the problems were still happening yeah I didn't need any like hardcore it was no drugs or it wasn't like going that. there All it right. was like All Advil right. or you know <laughs> regular yeah yeah, yeah. So. But so so this didn't end like after a week or a month. Mm-hmm. Like you spent a year constantly doing the next surgery or the next fix, right? Mm-hmm. How many right. surgeries did you end up having? Uh, I had probably 13 or 14. Oh, geez. And I mean, mm-hmm. even just thinking about that would give me anxiety. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you suffer from that? Like uh, seriously, no. thinking about the I mean, the first, and- the first, like that summer was, was really, you know, a bummer like being stuck indoors a lot and in pain, like not much sleep, you know. Yeah, it was, it was a rough summer. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know, like it was, you know, borderline depression or, yeah, whatever. It, it was a bummer. I mean, I'm not a depressed person by nature, but I think, you know, that was definitely a downer that summer. But luckily, I mean, my wife, my wife you know, Ellen has had the summer off because she's a teacher and the kids were around, so... I had plenty of help, and then some family came out to help too. So that that definitely helped get through it. Well, and a lot of people yeah. don't want other people around when they're suffering, mm-hmm. you know. So it's really cool that you were open to that, and uh, I'm mm-hmm. sure your family was affected too because you are a pretty steady dude, you know. So like, even to have the little bit of lows or what you might call being sort of borderline depressed, that could partly just be because you didn't get. You weren't able to get that outdoor endorphin that mm-hmm. you've been living on for, 
you know, your whole life, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Exercise is an antidepressant for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, you could probably do a whole bunch of knee push-ups, but that's not going to do a whole lot for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Exercise is is nice. I mean, I, you know, I could live the rest of my life without it, but it's nice. It's definitely therapeutic. Well, yeah. you know, as we sit here today, you've definitely had to reframe a little bit of probably your identity and who you are and what your goals are going to be mm-hmm. or are now. Yeah. If you, if we could go back, because we're going to end it here. We're going to call it so we can get our kids from school, right? <laughs> By the way, our kids go to the same elementary school. Everybody is in the school. Um, if you could sum up in a word or a phrase where your head was, you know, a year after kind of in mm-hmm. the time frame that we're talking about mm-hmm. where was it what was it Before what would that word be yeah when you're going through these surgeries when you're in no man's land when you're just not sure if you could fix this thing yeah um word or phrase gosh <laughs> i don't know it's definitely hopeful you know that i could get through it i, I had no reason to believe i wouldn't you know be able to heal from this and you know there's all these, you know, options and surgeries I could have to clean out scar tissue or to, you know, keep working toward goals and eliminate the pain in my leg. So yeah, was, you know, I was still optimistic and knew that the um, this isn't quite a word, but I'm getting it to. I'm saying a lot of words. No, I like it. Yeah, but it was. Yeah, I still had a lot of options. And then at a certain point, you know, like almost exactly a year ago, I kind of was like, oh, this is not working. I don't so, have a lot of options. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's call it today, mm-hmm. and and we're gonna start up again. We need to actually schedule this, yeah, <laughs> in like next week if we can, so we don't wait six months. Um, and we're gonna take people through the next part of the story. And I love that you're ending it on a hopeful note. It, I was wondering if you might say I was frustrated or I found it futile or something. Oh, there was all those words too. <laughs> yeah, but hopeful. to make it one word, yeah, it was. I mean, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's really cool, and it really speaks to who you are. So, Dave, all right, let's wrap it. Let's go get the kids, and we're going to pick it up again next time. Okay, cool. (laughs) Hey there. This is your short intermission. Uh, It actually took Dave and I a full week or more to get part two on the books. That's how busy we we both are. Um, So as you're waiting for part two to come on and get more into Dave's story in the year after his surgery, don't forget to go over to the Skirt Sports Facebook page, check out the post on Friday, November 3rd, and answer this question, what would I write on my leg if I knew I was going to lose it? Dave will actually pick the winner. I didn't tell him that yet, but I'm going to tell him. So he's going to be reading all of your answers, and we'll post a winner about a month later because some of you, it takes a while to listen to all the podcasts. All right. On that note, let's roll right into part two. All right. All right, we're back. <laughs> How was drop off today? It was wonderful. It was great. Nice and cold. Icy. Oh, we love it. Uh, nice and cold and icy. Is that awesome for mm-hmm. having a, you know, prosthetic leg? Uh yeah. Slipping <laughs> and falling down is great. <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't more people falling than me <laughs> well you know you've got um you're wearing ho- hokas mm-hmm. with yeah. your uh you know so you've made we're gonna get into this in a minute your your prosthetic leg and all the adaptations and all that cool stuff so i'm not gonna start there what i'm gonna do is say 
Welcome back. Thank you for coming mm-hmm. back again because this interview needs to continue because we did not cover nearly enough mm-hmm. um, first time around. And in the meantime, I've had it's about a week later, and I've had some time to think about what we covered in the first half. And when, I had a couple questions about the accident. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when people showed up, did they have to put tourniquets on your leg? Were you losing blood? No, I wasn't losing that much blood. I mean, I could see the open fracture, but there wasn't blood pouring out of it. There's blood in the wound, and there's a little on my face, and I, a little bit on my other leg, but not a ton of blood loss. No tourniquet needed. Okay. That'd be pretty. Well, because I didn't know if like that may if that was needed, if it would have contributed to more damage, or you know what I mean, like right accelerated yeah. possibility of losing your leg. <clears throat> right. So the yeah. other crazy thing is like this happened relatively close to home. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, so was your family aware of what was going on? Yes. My m- wife had uh, gotten a phone call from uh, my friend Jeff Valliere. I believe it was Jeff who called her because um, Paul had called Jeff and the rescue group. And, uh, and then Jeff called a bunch of people. Like he's a phone tree, so he basically initiated a process. So Ellen found out, you know, within the hour, I think. And what was her immediate response? So I know Ellen, and she's amazing. You guys have been married. I saw a photo. Okay, guys, I have house sat and sprayed the hermit crabs at the Mackey household, and so I saw a photo in your daughter's room of what looked like a very young you and Ellen. Mm-hmm. So did you get married? Did you guys meet really young? Yeah, we met in college um, in early 1990 or so, I think. Was that in college then? Yeah. Yeah, we were both part of this uh, outdoor leadership group in New Hampshire. So we met there. And that was it? The romance just... Um, No, actually, she was dating my boyfriend. My boyfriend. (laughs) She was dating (laughs) my um, best friend at the time. Shut up. But we were friends. Ellen and I were friends. And... uh, but that's you know how life goes, and it was years later, um, not till I don't know ninety eight or so that we started dating. But uh, yeah, she was just by chance with my friend. That oh, that is so funny. Yeah. That stuff happens all the time. You get to know the yeah. the, the boyfriend's best friend, and then you fall for him instead. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm sure she was freaking out. Was she like considering trying to get up there to help, or was she no? She was with Ava and Connor with the kids. And trying so, to stay calm. Yeah. Yeah. And she, I mean, to get up there, it would have been, the rescue would have been over by then anyway, by the time she'd get up there. Um, so she was, yeah, in town worrying, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm just kind of putting myself in her shoes and going, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Like, you feel so helpless when someone you love, you know that they're going through something traumatic. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming yeah. that the phone call she got gave her a little bit of, you know, confidence that you might, you would be okay at least, like you were going to live? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't recall. I don't know who she talked to once the accident was rolling. She did end up going up to um, where the ambulance was up on Flagstaff Road, where the rescue brought me down to. So she was there and then rode to the hospital with me. So she was, uh, I'm pretty sure she was getting updates because the rescue group was up there. Right. On the, you know, the ridge by Flagstaff. So I, I think she knew it was going on, basically. Was she like a rock for you the entire time? Or was she the emotional one? Or how did it work with your dynamic? 
Yeah, she was the rock side of it for sure. Yeah, as far as you know, managing life and kids and everything while I was you know spent a summer recovering. Yeah. So when like when this is happening, how did your kids react? They were pretty. I don't know, like kids are. They're pretty adaptable. So they, you know, they. I don't think they've been traumatized by all this they're pretty much you know kids are they're kind of like oh this happened oh that's kind of interesting let's move on that's how life is and <laughs> that's how they are so it's you know i don't think they're going to be impacted long term by it they're they're pretty easygoing so, well let's give people a framework too these aren't babies so ava is how old nine and Eight. she's in is it fourth now yeah fourth mm-hmm. and yeah. then connor is seven Yes, and he, I think there's a chance Wilder might have a crush on him. <laughs> but we're going to find that out later as they get older. Well, they're going to have a Halloween party tomorrow, so if anything's going to happen, <laughs> at least we'll be there. We'll keep an eye on <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, we already took people then through the, you know, immediate aftermath, and you're coming into this new realization of like, who am I now? Because I was Dave, the ultra runner who had a career and a family. But now, were you ever told that you would never run again? No. Oh, no, that was never. Nobody told me I couldn't do anything I wanted. So, you know, I'm, I can do anything. Wow, <laughs> if okay. I, I, I think. I mean, I'm not going to win races again. And that's fine. I have no desire to. I was on the tail end of my career anyway, and this is fine. I don't, I don't care about that. Completing events would be nice, but um, running, yeah, I've already run, and no one, but no one ever, ever said that. That's pretty cruel. To say well, that. it is, but, but when there was at least about a year right mm-hmm. after the accident where you were just going through surgery after surgery, and you're trying to mm-hmm. mitigate pain, right. and um, you know, during that time, like if you hadn't made the decision to amputate your leg. I mean, was it just going to be, I don't know. I'm just yeah, trying to understand. Yeah, yeah, at that time, yeah, before the amputation or before even the amputation was a reality, it was, uh, there's no doubt or, you know, that I would not be able to do everything again. I didn't think I had, once, you know, scar tissue was in there and the complications from the infections, then I figured it probably wouldn't be racing again, but that's... You know, and that was okay, but um, it was more just dealing with the process and taking the steps to get back to, you know, close to 100%. Like when the accident happened, I thought just had I had an open fracture, and I thought, okay, we'll be able to fix this, you know, within the days after it. But then, over the, as the months went by, with all the, you know, scar tissue and infection um, and the bone grafting, etc., I thought, well, I'll probably never race again, but you know run not running again or not skiing or whatever it is then i didn't think i would never do those things i always thought i would be able to yeah and and i still do so well and maybe that's part of you know the power of your recovery where you've come is that you never didn't believe that you would or believed that you wouldn't Mm -hmm. you know right so what led to the decision then when at what point did you get to the point where you were like, my best option is to remove a part of my leg. It was about a year ago. Um, oh, it's October 30th today. Uh-huh. So it's almost been you know a year to the day. They had the surgery and in the um, two months prior to that, or even several months before I felt 
you know, there's pain in the leg, there's scar tissue causing problems. I had a surgery to just clean out scar tissue in the ankle that August, you know, two months, three months before this, the actual amputation. And um, that, that was done to, to decrease the pain and that helped a little bit, but then it came back again. And then the, the graft, the bone graft was failing because of infection and the rod that I had in my leg was wobbling around. That wasn't the biggest thing. The rod can be put back in, but and the graft can be re- redone, but with infection still in there, like a low-grade infection, it, the, a graft wouldn't take. And there were other um, surgical options to take everything out and redo it and go back into the X-fix for a year and a half, you know, which means I probably wouldn't be able to work, which means, you know, even then there was a, a chance, a very, very good chance or very likelihood that it wouldn't have worked. So, um, you know, probably 95% chance I, from what I've understood that the it still wouldn't work because of the infection. So that was kind of led to the decision. You know, why delay, you know, years of recovery and probable pain only to not work again? You know, let's move on yeah. and then problem solved. And it's def- it's definite, you know. Um, well, and I can understand, too, like wanting to try everything possible. And the fact that you're an athlete, you push through pain. You know, mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. like, well, I let pain might even have a different meaning to you than other people because of the kind of pain you put yourself through in your sporting events. You mm-hmm. know, like, yeah. How bad is it really? Let's try more. Let's just push through. I get that. But at some point, it wasn't working. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the pain thing, a lot of people ask about the pain side of it. And it's, yeah, that's part of it. I hear what you're saying as far as, you know, pushing through. But yeah, it's the functionality that was the the big thing. It was Mm -hmm. still, I didn't have like a functioning lower limb below the fracture site. So that was also a huge part of it. I couldn't, I had half of a calf muscle um you know i just didn't have a fully functioning leg too and i would even if i had recovered done the um all the other surgeries that i could have done to try to save it it i still wouldn't have had the functionality too and that's right yeah yeah and i remember on halloween you were walking with a cane (laughs) still and we were Mm -hmm. talking and you were like well going to my goodbye leg party (laughs) you literally threw Mm -hmm. a goodbye leg party Mm -hmm. right yeah Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) i mean people really got behind you because it's a tough decision to make but it obviously just seems like it would make so much sense Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah it's uh, i don't know other people would in the same place might make a different decision or for me it's you know, just was logical to, to do that. Well, yeah. and even even with this, though, you've started to reframe, like, your identity as an athlete and a runner, mm-hmm. not as a person. You know, you're the same person. You've just had a new experience to mm-hmm. help you grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, just earlier you said, I'm not going to win any races again. Like, that's not the goal. And is that a place you think you would have been anyway, just by nature of, like, getting older and be more mature and all that or is that mm-hmm. yeah no i still i was still you know racing competing i planned to you know run the western states 100 i've been trying to get into hard rock for 100 for a couple of years and so i i had plans to you know still compete and i still was doing pretty well so um you know it's okay though i was like 44 then and it's all right there's yeah. i mean i have other stuff going on so it's it's fine you know, I can, it's tough to, 
you know, give up the competing part, but it's, it's not everything. Yeah. Well, and you know, we were talking earlier and you kind of said something like it's easy to, for people to see like a positive exterior, mm-hmm. but like, were there any real demons in there or where, what was the darkest place you went mm-hmm. and was it before the amputation or did that come later? It was probably, um, after the accident, probably that, you know, the accident happened late May when I first came home from the hospital, those, you know, the first you know month or so after that was pretty hard, you know, being at home, you know, not working works, you know, works. I enjoy it. And it's a distraction from, you know, other stuff keeps you busy. Um, but then just being at home, not fell asleep. Um, you know, the weather was crappy for one week, the first week of July. And so, yeah, it was a bummer being just locked up in this, you know, inside. And, um, uh, you know, having family around was excellent because Alan didn't have school. The kids were around because they had summers off. My mom was in town for a little while, and um, as well as my sister. And, uh, yeah, it was that was hard for sure. Um, and after the surgery, the I had goals of being able to – you know, walk, I figured, okay, it's just going to take a couple of weeks. I'll be able to walk. But the reality is it takes months um, to happen and even to run. I thought, okay, I'll take, I'll be able to run like two months. No problem. Oh my gosh. But I didn't, yeah, I didn't have a socket on my leg until, or prosthetic until like almost Christmas, almost seven weeks later. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, it's just, you know, you know, sitting back and finding out the reality of it is, is uh, kind of a wake up call. But it's, you know, after a year, things are going good now with, with progress. So Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. well, let's talk about, so you're, you're getting ready. You make your decision. You do your mm-hmm. goodbye leg party, and you're going into surgery on November 1st mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Um, was, were you excited? Were you no. petrified? <laughs> no were way. You, like, how no, does that? No, I was, I was definitely not excited. I mean, it was, it was comforting to know the, that the, um, you know, the course was kind of set, you know, there's not all these vague things that, you know, drag on for years with surgeries and whether they work or not, but it's good to know that there's something that's definite, I guess it's kind of like an extreme definite, but it, you know, that was, you know, a relief, but it wasn't, you know, comforting or, you know, a happy experience at all, for sure. It was, um, but it helped knowing that there was a, a definite course, yeah. Well, I so just pause for one second here. You know, I think that there's a finality of like, wow, I could keep pushing through this and my life would have pain in my leg, maybe forever. I don't know if it'll ever get better in any kind of way so I can have a mobility that I want in my life. So, <clears throat> so here you go. Mm-hmm. You know you're going to come out the other side different. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, I'm sure... You, there, you don't know in what way. It's. I know this is a bad parallel, but the only thing I can even come close to relating to is being pregnant, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like that's an experience I didn't know anything about going in. So you have these preconceived notions, and then you come out the other side, and you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. a my body's different, but now I've got this whole other thing going on in my life. I got to take care of a baby, mm-hmm. you know? Right? Yeah. <laughs> So, and you don't know until you get there and everybody's experience is different. So you could have talked to a ton of people. You could talk to Aaron Mm -hmm. Ralston. You Mm -hmm. could have talked to anybody, right? About who've had to make those decisions, whether they're in desperate moments or not. And um, Mm -hmm. 
yeah. wouldn't have mattered because your experience is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So you come out and we start the rehab process, right? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, where's your leg? Did Wait. they keep it? Did oh, you that? keep it? Oh, yeah. the leg? <laughs> oh, no. It? They incinerate that thing. They, <laughs> no, they send it. They they take it off and they send it to pathology, you know, and the pathology. Why? Revol- well, it's, it's whenever... Uh, I know that they, I, I don't know if they tried to grow, or, like to sample to see if, uh, <laughs> is it still recording here? Yes. Okay. They no, like medically, the they, no, they do. That's like all the medical waste that gets incinerated. Uh, so no, they, there's a, like a pathology report. They, I read it and said, okay, so here's this leg. It's blah, 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 dimensions. It's got, I think the phrase was, it has expressions of love written all over it because <laughs> at the amputation party, you know, people had written in oh, Bernard Mark all over the leg. Oh, yeah. I like, love it. Sayonara, goodbye leg, and oh, good man. luck. And so, um, yeah, the, the report was pretty funny because it's pretty <laughs> objective and cru- <laughs> and cruel. Like here's yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's it's somewhere oh. in the air. You're probably breathing part of it right now because okay. somewhere in the air. Yeah, actually that's. <laughs> I have a random fact about that. Did you know that when you you when you're breathing in, you're actually breathing in part of pretty much the air that everybody who's ever lived in history has breathed. So wow. the same molecules that George Washington or that's Betsy Ross, deep. yeah, and Isn't then they cool? become a part of you. You're breathing Donald Trump's oh. air right oh. now. Oh, oh, he's <laughs> pretty far away, doesn't he? You no, know, the air disperses pretty well <laughs> this is not a political podcast yeah, it is. Today. <laughs> yeah, a little bit um so have let's talk about like today then you're doing awesome like you're rocking in my opinion because i watched you over the past year you know prior to the surgery and trying to get yourself going forward and it always seem like little setbacks um has it been rosy or have there been some setbacks with finding a no, prostitute i would say rosy is the word um no, I want to go and do it. You know everything I did before, so it's you know that's still a bummer to like know that you know I can't go run up the peak and be back down in an hour, you know, or so. And um, but it just takes longer. Yeah, things take longer to like not that much longer to get ready in the day or to um, you know I can still do everything I did before as far as work and you know, with the kids pretty much. Um, but yeah, I just can't do it at the same level. Let me and ask you real quick. Let's just mm-hmm. pause for a sec about work. Um, I only know a little bit about this, but you do some work on Native American um, reservation. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Until for a, about three years. And okay. I was doing that before the accident and after um, until like seven or eight eight months ago now yeah so i go up to um some of the reservations in southern south dakota which is like five or six hours from here uh go up and work for a week or two and then take you know three weeks off or so and then go back up and yeah it's called locums work which is just you know contract work at the hospitals worked in the emergency rooms there well, and I'm, I bring it up because um, I'm making an assumption here, but that there may be some perspective that those communities may be having a lot of hardships. Mm-hmm. And so when you yeah. work in an environment like that and you see that, I'm sure it plays a role in you having perspective on your own yeah. self. Oh, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing probably is, um, I mean, they, you know, the reservations are a tough place to live. 
Um, they don't have access to the same stuff we do. Um, as far as medical care, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, I can call today up to the orthopedist and say, hey, I got this problem. Can I get an appointment? Oh, you have an opening today? Okay, I'll see you in an hour. Up there, it's, you know, first of all, the the health system isn't very well run, in my opinion. So just getting an approval, and then you got to try to get a ride or drive. Most people know cars up there, so you have to get a ride, three hours, and then ride back. It's a huge process, and they don't have access to that, It's which is sad, because if someone was in my circumstance had an accident up there, and I, I definitely have patients like that up there, they don't have the, the access. Uh, it's very challenging. And then, yeah, there's fights about the who's going to pay for it, the you know, Indian Health Service is supposed to be supplying, you know, medical care to natives, but it's not very well run. It's underfunded, and the geography of getting around is challenging. So, yeah, I'm very lucky to have what I have, you know, in this in these circumstances. Well, let's talk a little yeah. bit about your network. Mm-hmm. So you have your wife. You got your first like first circle of of love and care, which is your family. But um, beyond that, when this kind of accident happens, I mean, what kind of doctors do you need to start developing relationships with? Since the accident yeah. has happened, the amputation and the accident. Oh, orthopedists. Um, although initially the surgery was you know, done by an orthopod. Um, and then I have the infection, so that's infection, infectious disease. There's a little bit of internal medicine side of that. So that's that three categories of... Yeah, uh, that's, specialists. That's three so far. Uh, yeah, and then the the prosthetists and I are pretty much that's the only um, professional I'm seeing now, and okay. that's just you know make adjustments, get a new you know prosthetic part or whatever. Um, make make some um, fit thing, fit changes. Um, and I work with Zach Harvey right now. And his and, wife, by the way, uh, you all may remember, Emily Harvey has been on the podcast before. She's super inspirational. Uh-huh. And she's yeah. a, a really great athlete. So, I mean, it sounds like you'd be in good hands then as an athlete wanting mm-hmm. that sort of care that you would be able to compete or do cool things in the future. Yeah, yeah. And I worked with a wonderful you know, prosthetist before that. Um, and But you know, Zach's a, a good fit. As Great. well, because of the athletic side of it, for sure. I mean, he there's a little subtleties to working with someone like that, because especially because you know Emily's his wife. He knows, and I mean, he probably would know anyway because he's a smart guy. But um, yeah, that helps a lot. Yeah, yeah, and sounds like a really important relationship that you'll have for a long time. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, and yeah. you know, you uh, we're living in a world where there's a lot of technology going on with. Uh, you know, prosthetics and maybe largely driven by the military and more amputees coming back from war and stuff. But it's not a bad time <laughs> to have mm-hmm. to do this. In yeah. Your life. I yeah. mean, are you feeling like you're seeing new advancements every day? Mm, well, I don't, I'm not in it or haven't been in it long enough to know exactly when this part came out, et cetera. I think, um, I mean, as for someone who has a more complicated amputation, like um, you know, above the knee, where you need your knee to flex, or something like that, there are um, electronics and a ton of technology just in the computer parts yeah. and the whatever you know type of motors make the knee flex. I don't have that problem, so I just have the 
more a static type of um, prosthetic setup. I mean, it's it's dynamic because there's there is um, like a running blade has you know some energy storage in there. That's an energy storing prosthetic, whereas mm-hmm. other ones are not. It just pretty much comes down the ground and goes boom. But um, yeah, for like running or certain sports, there's that energy return. But um, yeah, there's a, I know there's a lot of research going into it. And on, honestly, I haven't looked into that. I don't think I need that at all. But um, yeah, as far as the um, advances, I guess it's a good time. You know, in 20 years, they'll probably be saying, oh man, it really stank like 20 years ago. Now we got this. But it's, <laughs> well, that's normal. Yeah. But, um, um, but I'm not, I haven't done all the research. I don't know everything that's out there. Well, you know, I wonder too, is uh, healthcare covering your costs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're not having to go out and like find third jobs and no. Ellen's got to work all summer no. now. And, you after, know. after the accident, I had a gap in my health insurance. It was stupid. I'll never do that again. Oh my so, gosh. So yeah, that, I definitely had help then from the community, which was yeah. wonderful. Um, and yeah, insurance covers it. I mean, I still got to pay the premium deductibles like everybody else, which yep. stinks, but it's how things are in this country. Um, yeah. So, well, it's rare, you know, I want to just pivot really quick. We only have a couple more questions, but okay. to, um, you know, you're running and your career is an ultra runner, which is completely badass and obviously evolving, but you went out and volunteered at which race this year? Western States. Western States. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, I saw some people posting like, I saw Dave Mackey out there. He's so inspiring. <laughs> like, how does that feel? Feel. you would have been inspiring mm. no matter what but now you're seen in a completely different way as inspiring yeah, on a different level i guess so uh yeah i i hopefully i'm inspiring on some level yeah being out there was good because i was at a, an aid station middle of the race and no one dropped at that aid station which i guess is really unusual well, so that's they good. saw you and they uh-huh. were like you know what i better keep going or i'm gonna <laughs> not impress dave mackey <laughs> yeah i know it could always be worse you might as well keep going right you know lose your leg or something (laughs) (laughs) that is a really good point you know what um what would you say like a word or phrase that sums up where you are in your life right now (laughs) uh i think we asked that one earlier yeah i said optimistic (laughs) now you're still okay yeah um yeah still you know still optimistic about That's awesome. <laughs> where things are going yeah it's not there's still you know a lot of things to complete you know I'd, I'd like to complete some event like to say i did a hundred mile in a couple of years would be would be kind of cool just to finish it that was, that's gonna be really hard but um that's you know I have a, it's nice to have a goal and even though i'm not running much right now it's fine you know long term and just you know feel like i can do that so just being optimistic about that. I've no, you know, I'm gonna have setbacks for sure. Like, you know, maybe there'll be an abrasion or a fit issue, um, you know. But that's just short term. That's like a, you know, a week or two of, you know, something I just need to take care of. But um, yeah, long term, there's a lot of things. I'm looking forward to skiing this winter. Yeah, it's a lot of, you know. And right now, I can go out most days and, you know, do a little exercise or, you know, with the family, and that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. Mm-hmm. Um, have you made it back up to the accident site? Uh, yeah, yeah, I go up there pretty regularly. Oh, yeah. you do? Okay, oh, yeah. so you hike yeah. it up. I see Tim up there. All. Well, I, did, I haven't seen him up there in a while, but I saw him 
months ago, I've seen up there a lot, yeah. like every day almost. <laughs> I mean, was, um, it, was it just weird the first time you went up, or were you yeah, nervous? Yeah, a little bit. It wasn't as um, mind-blowing as I thought it would be, but it was, yeah, it was still, you know, somewhat tearful, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was it was challenging, but not, you know, I'm pretty good about moving on from <laughs> things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's because of my work or whatever but it's pretty yeah it was it's pretty uh you know interesting experience and even when i go up there now i look at the rock it's still sitting there that land on my leg it's right next to the trail damn rock um yeah actually my my friend jeff tried to you know lever it off the mountain and send it down the hill but he couldn't (laughs) do it because it was too big he did send it like 10 feet down the hill but that's as far as he got i don't care i actually want to keep it in place but yeah it's there and uh yeah i kind of look at it and you know, it's got these big sharp edges on it, and I think that's what <laughs> tore my leg open. It's uh, wow. Yeah. So when people go up there, we don't have like the outline. You know, in the murder movies, there's always mm-hmm. the outline. Yeah. See, that's a good thing. Uh-huh. You didn't have to do that. We got you down. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, well, let's. Uh, what advice, I guess, do you have as we start wrapping it up here for people who find themselves in a situation? that they never thought they'd be in, that they obviously know is going to change their life. Yeah, I mean, I had my accident. We hear about, and we were just talking about Craig right before we started the interview. Um, you know, he's um, you know bilateral above the knee amputee, and I feel I feel really, you know, I feel for him for sure. I mean, my situation is, is way different than his. But accidents happen, and, and they're they're gonna happen no matter what you do. And all you can do is try to make the best of it. Um, you know, like life. It's you know, I I have a couple friends who had recent accidents happen to their family, like loss of several family members all at once. And that's there's all <laughs> I don't want to say be callous or anything like that. But there's always something worse to compare it to. Um, you know. I, I think of my situation and the, I mean, the other thing that, you know, could have and should have happened in, in my accident is, is dying. And I didn't, you know, I was very lucky given the nature of the fall that I, I should have been killed by it or the rock could have landed on my head instead of my leg or my chest or something else like that. Or it could have missed me entirely. And then I'd be doing everything I did before because I survived the fall. So, um, yeah, I've kind of realized and maybe paid more attention that, um, accidents happen people make mistakes and yeah there's not much you can do about it except minimize the risks and you're right like the it you can get really philosophical about this stuff and Mm -hmm. you probably had have gone there at least from what i just heard Mm -hmm. um because you've got to think through all the different scenarios to find yourself at a place where you can appreciate Mm -hmm. where you are yeah exactly so yeah. you know you're also you've got some strong passionate views on all kinds of cool political things. <laughs> I've heard some podcasts of you. Mm-hmm. You know Boulder is now a place, uh, Colorado in general, where you can smoke marijuana and do all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. man, um, but guess what? We're not going to go there today mm-hmm. to yeah. talk about all those crazy political things. Yeah. Well, I'm not like your typical Boulderite. I'm not like way off the left spectrum. I'm more middle of the road but yeah we can talk about how bad things are going now politically if you want <laughs> no we're not okay we're not good. gonna hit it we're not okay. gonna do health care and we're not gonna do okay. pot and we're not gonna do all that other <laughs> stuff school system um what we are gonna do is wrap it up we okay. have one final question i ask everybody <laughs> which is 
If you could give our listeners one final piece of advice, one mm-hmm. nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? <laughs> um, well, when you're having a hard time in your race, you know, maybe at one of Nicole's events, and <laughs> you get really stinks and you're going to drop out, um, it could always be worse. And you can just be on one leg. <laughs> That's true. That's a great point. And All right, Dave. That okay. was awesome. Yeah, thanks, thank Nicole. Thank you for doing the two-parter. Oh, sure. You know, yeah, you are, thank you. And keep it thanks up. Thanks for having man. me. Just by like getting out there and continuing to put yourself out and be honest, like people are being inspired. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate you sharing your story. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Hey there, everyone. Aren't you glad we didn't get into a political discussion or some sort of diatribe about performance-enhancing drugs at the end? Um, I only brought that up because if you Google Dave Mackey, you will find um, press, podcasts, other media where he's been pressed on these subjects. Um, And he's got some really strong opinions. So if you want to learn more about Dave, Google him and look into all that other stuff because there is a lot of depth to this guy. But those topics are not what my podcast is all about. It's about finding inspiration through each other's journeys so that we can feel just a little bit less alone in the world. As you could tell, Dave is very practical, but he was still able to dig deep on some topics. His is the kind of mentality that wins races. Think about when he said, accidents happen. All you can do is try to make the best of it. Think about in your races, When stuff happens, what are you gonna do? Quit? No, you gotta finish the race, so you have to make the best of it. And in the end, as Dave says, it can always be worse. And when someone who made the decision to amputate his own leg says that it can always be worse, we need to stop, listen, and embrace. All right, everyone, on that note, we're gonna wrap it up. Don't forget to go over to the Skirt Sports Facebook page entry from Friday, November 2nd, or Friday, November 3rd, and tell us what you would write on your leg if you knew you were going to lose it. The winner is going to win a pair of hokas. Dave is going to pick the winner in about a month. All right, everyone, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.